people want to believe. We just tell each other, just read the Bible. But what happens when it isn't so easy to understand? This is No God. You are listening to the No God Podcast. Uh, welcome back from our long unintentional break. Um, but we're ready to jump right back in. Um, I am Micah, here with my parents, Tony and Sandy. Hi, Micah. Hello, what Micah. You, what do you have for us today, Dad? Well, we have had a lot of time to think about topics. And so we have battered around thinking about, so what is the real point? What's the real goal of the Christian life? I know that sounds kind of like academic, but what what are we trying to accomplish? What is it that our life is about? And so we think about the all of the ideas that people have about what the goal is, all the way from some type of life purity, you know, where we're living a certain kind of extremely pure, godly lifestyle, righteous, or maybe it is that the goal is that we should really be blessed greatly by God. And we did a podcast in our first season on the word blessed, talking about what does it mean to be blessed. Mm-hmm. And so in some case, in, in a little way, this podcast is a bit of a spinoff of that podcast because it's we want to address one alternative in particular, and that is that sometimes it, unspokenly or sometimes very clearly it is communicated that a really good Christian life is going to bring you some uh, financial success all the way to financial wealth. Mm-hmm. And we want to talk about that today. All right, let's jump right in. All right. So this is the uh, Live Long and Prosper podcast. <laughs> <laughs> nice. For some people, they want to live a long life, mm-hmm. and that's a big deal. But we all know from the Star Trek series, the Live Long and Prosper concept is like a full life, everything that you need. And we want to just address that. And as I was thinking about answering this question, there's tons of places to turn to in the Bible. But I kind of like to follow the thread through like one little letter of Paul. And we've done that with other podcasts. But this one, we're going to follow a thread through the little letter that's called First Timothy, though. Obviously, one that he wrote to Timothy, who was a co-worker of his. Kind of, He mentored Timothy. And he talked about things kind of like red flags and how to know what the real goal is. And in fact, he says it that way. And so I'm going to ask Sandy if she'll just read right in the beginning of that letter, in that first chapter, what Paul said is the goal of the Christian life in chapter 1, verse 5. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Thanks, Mom. So we jump right in. So verse 5 means he's just introduced himself, and then he's addressing a, a question. Uh-huh. And, he's, and so the question must have been, so what's the point of of all this stuff that we're teaching, because he says the goal of this instruction or this command right. is love. So if we could just say, well, that's the end of the podcast. It's like, <laughs> there it is. Yeah. But interestingly enough, in this thread through First Timothy, he touches on and he addresses this, this thing that happens in everybody's lives. A person doesn't have to be a Christian to feel this way, but there is this desire to accumulate wealth and to also to have enough for mm-hmm. life. And so it's kind of a spectrum of, you know, when is when is enough enough? And I always like to quote uh, J.D. Rockefeller from more than 100 years ago, who was one of the first billionaire tycoon, tycoons of America. 
And when he was asked that question, how much is enough money, he said, just a little bit more. (laughs) So we want to talk about that. So in 1 Timothy, Paul is addressing some people that were teaching things incorrectly, leading people astray, adding, embellishing the message. And so this, he says, the goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart, good conscience, sincere faith. So we see this kind of tripod of support to love. And we we all know it's almost like even non-Christians will say the the thing that really matters is love, okay. not just popular music, but even in dealing with social and and economic and cultural challenges, it's all about love is the phrase. But in this, we see that the only love is springs out of something, and what it springs out of is three things in a person's life: a pure heart, which is not like never been stained heart it actually the word pure there is kind of interesting is the word cleansed Mm -hmm. heart not like pure never having needed a bath but fully cleansed Mm -hmm. heart which is the only expectation that we can have as human beings because we all have things that are wrong and so we can't just if if love only comes from a person with an absolutely pure heart then theoretically could only be a tiny child that has the pure heart so anyway (laughs) So that we adults are are left out in the dark on that. Good conscience, which is a theme through 1 Timothy as well. Mm -hmm. And then a sincere faith, which is unhypocritical faith, literally, in the Greek. It is that it is genuine. It's not faked. And that's an interesting... We're not going to spend a lot of time on that thought, I don't think, on this podcast. But that is... You can't have this love... Unless we realize that one, our hearts have to be kind of cleaned up. We have to have some process of a cleansing of our hearts. We need to have a pro- we have a conviction and a priority to have a a good conscience, and we also then have this genuine faith. And if I have doubts, I express my doubts. I don't have to fake right. my faith. And so that's where this love is going to flow from. So Paul deals with the character of teachers that were kind of teaching otherwise on this. And in that, he points out, like in 1 Timothy chapter 3, I'm not going to read a bunch of this stuff, but he, he's describing church leaders. And so he says a church leader, one, one of the things is that they're not greedy and they're not lovers of money, or act technically, they're not lovers of gold, which was the, you know, the, right, right. the big standard of money. We use the word money, but actually, I think in the older English translations even, it'll say not lovers of gold. So we kind of get that. There's a lot, you know, that, that's a lot to be said for that. And then we go on to 1 Timothy chapter 5. So there's six chapters in 1 Timothy. In chapter 5, he describes this, this uh, group of women who are widows, who are 60 years old and older, which you think about first century, that's pretty old. Um, and they are going to be cared for by the church if they have no living relatives. And so the church was stepping in to help take care of this group of people who had no social system except the generosity of fellow believers. And so he does this description of how that's going to work. But it's interesting to say that one of the criteria of women that you go, well, don't know if we can help you or not, which is funny to think about. So there is this this caveat that Paul writes to him, he says in 1 Timothy 5, 6, he says, but she who indulges herself in luxury 
is dead even while she lives. And he's saying, that woman, you can give a lot of money to, and it's not going to do what you think it's going to do, which is to take care of her needs. She's going to use it on luxuries. Mm -hmm. Now, doesn't that seem like an odd thing for Paul to have to write? <laughs> it does. <laughs> and it does kind of, it, we could stereotypically point out and say, well, this is all about older women just doing, you know, pampering themselves. But it's not only women that do that. But he's saying that here's this standard of if we're helping people, their focus in life can't be, oh, more, more, more. I love having all of this stuff. It is more about living this life that is just actually having enough of what we need. So we can zero in on like then the next chapter, which is the last chapter of First Timothy, the last mm -hmm. handful of paragraphs that Paul writes. And he describes teachers who are advocating a different priority than love. And this really kind of gets to the heart of our conversation today. I kind of wanted to set the stage of Paul's coming at us with this stuff. And then in First Timothy chapter 6, verses 5 to 10, he talks about people who are who tend to stir up problems in the community of the church. He says their minds are corrupt. They've turned their backs on the truth. To them, a show of godliness, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, to them, a show of godliness is just a way to become wealthy. So Paul is talking about the fact that some people kind of want to manipulate the Christian life as a way to become wealthy. Right. Now, does that sound familiar? Definitely. <laughs> yes. Not us, of course. No, it's, it is challenging. And I've kind of given this some thought, just again, kind of in a, kind of trying to look at that angle. And it is true that the Bible gives us, uh, especially in the Proverbs, so in the Old Testament, in the Proverbs, there are many, many, many um, mm -hmm. uh, truisms and Proverbs that give us direction about how to um, be successful financially. Right, okay. And and so we want to make sure that we're not ignoring those, but we're, we're not spending a lot of time on those. But it does talk a lot about, you know, uh, you know, honor the Lord with your wealth, the first of your harvest, the first of your fruits from Proverbs 3, and your barns will be full, that mm -hmm. kind of thing. So there is this there is this abundance corollary of you really trust God, you're going to have an abundance. Right. Well, well yeah, I, I think what you hear a lot of times is the if you find the right formula, if you perform the right formula to being good with God, then you're going to get back more than you give. Yeah. Well, and the Proverbs are not promises. You know, so that's not like, because I've heard people say before, well, that says that, so that's going to happen to everybody. What you just quoted from Proverbs, but mm -hmm. that doesn't happen for everybody. Right, but it does happen for some. Right, but it's not, it's not like a magical formula. Like, if I give this much to God, then I'm going to be getting this much back. Right, right. And there is there is also Malachi chapter 3, which has that concept of, you know, um, honor, you know, honor the Lord, test me with the tithe, and see if I don't open the floodgates of heaven and pour out upon mm -hmm. you. Right. And so then that is taken as, if I gave dollars, mm -hmm. then I get dollars poured out back to me. Rather than seeing a bigger picture of, 
I'm trusting God with the very first of my best, and he is going to pour out of me more than I need. And we we just put that into a spreadsheet that is dollars. Right, because what does that mean, more than I need, more than I need of? Right. Well, let's... Oxygen? Let's pause. Well, hey, there you go. Yeah, oxygen is one of those fundamentals of life. Water is one of those fundamentals of life. Yeah. But in this First Timothy chapter... Six. So we kind of set the stage a little bit about the tension that's mm-hmm. here. But also as we come to First Timothy chapter six, and I read the one about that this, you know, this concept that a show of godliness is just a way to become wealthy. Then there's verse six and then some others, verse eight and stuff. I'm just gonna ask Sandy to hit some of those highlights for us about that Paul writes to Timothy. Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. So let's just pause there. So Paul is giving a bigger definition of great wealth than just gold or right, money. Right. What is what does he say is 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 part of great wealth? Contentment. Contentment. Let's look at the next part there. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. On a side note, real quick. Yes. If anyone can hear mom better. She has her own microphone now. Oh. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. And people do wonder about those kinds of things. From yes. Time to time. yes. So now we are no longer, me and mom are no longer sharing a microphone. So she just had to fight it away for me to talk. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, go on. Thank you, Micah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the having enough of food and clothing is something to be content with. And that is part of what he's saying, that, that true godliness. Because the equation that some people want to misteach is, godliness is a way to wealth. Right. And now he's saying, no, true godliness is a way to contentment. Where you no longer have that Rockefeller problem of needing just a little bit more. Right. Mm-hmm. When you already have more than you need. So... I think it's important for us to just kind of kind of breathe that in and ask ourselves, where am I in that? Well, we're going to ask that again at the end of the podcast, but just kind of think about where we are with that. And let's flesh that out a little bit more with the words that Paul writes to Timothy, and we're going to look at something out of the Gospel of Luke as well. But first, um, so if people can't find contentment with food and clothing, having enough food and clothing, Paul goes on to write in verses 9 and 10 one of the pitfalls of that attitude. And I'm going to ask Sandy to... But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people, craving money, have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. I don't know how more plain-spoken it can be. (laughs) Exactly. Actually... (laughs) But but notice what it is. So sorry, I'm interrupting yeah. you. Um, so by giving, you can learn. You you can receive an attitude of contentment. So if giving, if in your giving, your focus is on that money and how much of that money you're going to get back, then that's still just the love of money. Mm-hmm. I, I would say that that's how I would see it, yes. 
Yeah, because it's not a path of contentment at that point. Right. It's a path of leveraging. Right. Leveraging my asset, my gift to God to get a bigger return back. That's called financial leveraging. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Because then it's just spiritual stock market. Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. With maybe in the minds of some teachers, it would be not just a spiritual stock market because there's like an unknown risk in that. Okay. But it is like, no, this is a totally, you can count on this. Oh, right. There's okay. no risk. I mean, it's a step of faith, but it's not a risk. So, again, the goal, and, and you know what? Everybody knows this is the answer. Everybody, oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, contentment. That's important, you know, kind of thing. But that's the centerpiece of this. The godliness can lead us, doesn't necessarily, because godliness also has another path that can get skewed. But godliness, that is, living a life devoted to the simplicity of loving God, can lead to contentment, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen. There still are choices along the way right. to contentment. Yeah, every day. Yes. So then, in First Timothy chapter six, verses seventeen and nineteen. So this, I mean, when you stop and think about it, sometimes there are places that you know we know the Bible talks a lot about money mm-hmm. and wealth, but First Timothy six is like <laughs> loaded up with it. Because then at the, toward the end of this chapter, verse 17 and 19, um, Paul writes that teach those who are rich in this world. And so who is he talking about? He's talking about believers. Right, that are already so, wealthy. Who in the eyes of the world and in this world, in this lifetime, they are rich. So we do know one thing. There were rich Christians right. that Paul dealt with in the Ephesian church, which is where Timothy was when this letter was written to him. So he says, teach them these things, which is this, not to be proud, or let's even, let's use a good, stronger word, to not be arrogant about their wealth and to not trust in their money, which he says is so unreliable. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Wealth is fleeting. Mm-hmm. Immediately following that, he says, their trust should be in God. Now, I think that historically we know that in 1954, the U.S. Senate voted to put on the American currency in God we trust. Right, right. But there are moments that it feels like, what was the point of that? I mean, I think it's a great idea, but who really trusts in God rather than trusting in the actual currency? It's kind of odd to put it on the money now that I think about it. Why did they choose to do that? Well, that's probably a whole... Yeah, that's all another podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Something to do with the Cold War, man? Yeah, that makes me wonder about that. Yes. Anyway, not to get too astray there, but then... So he, he says, so... Their trust should be in God, who richly gives all that we need... There's that all that we need thing... For our enjoyment. Not just like it's crappy food that doesn't taste good at all and you just got to put up with all of this stuff because it's what you need Mm -hmm. but he actually provides what we can enjoy and then he tells them use their money he's telling Timothy tell the rich people amongst your circle use their money to do good now we kind of get that they should be rich in good works and generous to those in need 
always being ready to share with others. So he's saying the same thing about three times, mm-hmm. kind of different nuances. By doing this, they'll be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future. And I like the, the reason, the so that, so that they may experience true life. Now, so let's do the court, let's do the alternate. If they're not being generous, if they're trusting in their wealth, they are not going to experience true life. They're going to experience the life where you always need a little bit more. Yes. And you're not content. <laughs> not content and also not really caring, missing the 1 Timothy 1.5. Mm-hmm. The goal of this instruction is love. That, that will not be a focus at all. Yeah. At least if it is a focus, it will be, it will be mixed. So it will be a, it will not be unhypocritical faith. It will be a faith that is struggling with hypocrisy. And if you go to church long enough, and let's just say that these, because we know that in Timothy there's instructions about the the weekly public gatherings of mm-hmm. the church, mm-hmm. and they're supposed to be taught good things. And so people are going to go to their church services or they're going to listen to their favorite podcast or their their online services and they're going to hear well you need to be generous to people and it's going to begin to chip at their good conscience when they know i don't really care for people and i'm not sharing my money with anybody else (laughs) and they begin to chip away at their good conscience and begin to destroy it and so if we're losing a good conscience if we have a hypocritical faith and we have missed the whole point of confessing our sins and getting a pure heart, then we cannot expect love to spring in our lives because love springs from those three things. All very clearly experiences for the follower of Christ. Now, to kind of just glimpse here, we want to look at a parable of Jesus that he told that's recorded in Luke chapter 12. And it started with a guy who called out from the crowd. Here's Jesus teaching a crowd of people. And I just love this. I got to do this part. I'm going to have Sandy read Jesus, the rest of the story there, the parable that Jesus told. But the guy calls out to Jesus. He says, teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. So there was some type of family conflict going on here about an inheritance. (laughs) And so he calls his brother out in public by in a teaching session. (laughs) He calls up to Jesus and says, hey, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. <laughs> oh my goodness. Can't so let's never let's happen. never imagine just this peaceful, idyllic settings of Jesus sitting on a hill talking to people and they're just taking it all in. There's always the guy or the woman, but a guy who's going, <laughs> I got this question. <laughs> <laughs> So Jesus tells a parable, and I went. It's it's a short parable. Let's hear it. Okay. Jesus replied, "Friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that?" Then he said, "Beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own." Then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, "What should I do? I don't have room for all my crops." Then he said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Live long and prosper. (laughs) (laughs) Is that where that comes from? (laughs) 
But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Ooh. Yes, a person is a fool to store, to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. All through these, and whether, I mean, 1 Timothy 6, especially, and then this parable, I think it's important. I think that it's important for us as followers of Jesus to realize there is a true um, tension, at least, if not, if not this animosity, of a life of trusting God for enough and a life of accumulating wealth. Those mm-hmm. things are at least like polar opposites, where they're always pushing against each other, and. It tell, and Paul says that there are people who have just kind of embraced the whole wealth path and they have bankrupted their faith and they have brought a lot of hurt, pierced with many sorrows mm. is how Paul describes mm-hmm. it. And so he is compassionately appealing to people to keep their focus about the word enough coming from God's hand and not from their own accumulation of wealth because if you think about it, I'm giving so that God will give me more is just, again, leveraging mm-hmm. the, 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 the market of how I get more. It's not really about having a closer relationship with God if that attitude is in that exchange. Yeah. And I know that any kind of teaching from the scriptures can be turned into kind of a leveraging thing mm-hmm. of, well, if I do this, then I get that. And in this case, we're just talking about wealth. We know there are many, many other issues like it. But in this podcast, we want to just kind of focus in on that part. And I kind of want to just take a little quick sidebar on the word enough in the Bible. Because it is comes from a Greek word that means sufficiency. Um, it's like, con- it is contentment. But it's a, it's a contentment or a competence, having enough that came, and this is the background of the Greek word coming to us that then is used to help us understand this in the biblical Mm -hmm. uh, teaching. In the Greek culture around them, this word, the best paraphrase into the English-American experience is the ability to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. (laughs) There is no dependence on anyone. That's what it means to have enough in the non-Christian Greek culture. Right. It was not dependent on your community. It was not dependent <laughs> on your family. It was, this is mine. I have accumulated it. I can use it. That's the parable that Jesus told about the rich farmer who had the extra stuff. I've got more than enough. It's mine. I'll do with it as I want. Mm-hmm. And the, the short-sightedness of that is concerning faith is... It is totally short-sighted. You're not going to live on this earth forever. So who's going to have what you accumulated? And we do say, I don't, I don't want to get distracted, but we do see the, the notable, extremely wealthy, mega-wealthy people in America, mm-hmm. big founders of the big corporations, in some ways scrambling to give their money to different causes. And part of that is that real, I think, in, this is just my opinion, the inner realization that there's something bigger to life than just accumulating more. And even though we may not agree with how they're giving their money to something, they get it that life is more than just the, the, 
measure of this life is not just accumulating stuff during this lifetime because it's going to be gone. So Paul said, was warning, some think godliness can be used to gain great wealth. Mm-hmm. And he's saying, no, that is a path of, of this exchange system and it is a path of sorrow. It's a path of piercing your heart and it's a path that is going to destroy faith. And so instead, we find from Hebrews uh, chapter 13 in verses 5 and 6 that we are encouraged, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he said, now he's going to quote Old Testament, actually, Psalm 118, I will never leave you or forsake you. And so on one hand, it is I am all sufficient. I can take care of myself. I have accumulated and built up my wealth and my portfolio for the future Mm -hmm. versus God saying to us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. It almost feels like these two things are opposites and don't live together. Mm. It does. If I am totally satisfied that I have accumulated enough for myself and my friends you know, mm-hmm. and my family, however big that circle wants to be, then there is not a dependence on that God will never leave me nor forsake me. I think in terms of I will never leave me. I will never forsake mm-hmm. me because I can solve my own problem. So as we think about these words from Paul and then out of Hebrews here, it is like, oh, this is the issue. It's not just like, oh, the prosperity gospel is like, oh, that's kind of a bad thing, or maybe it's not all it's cracked up to be. No, there's a real toxicity. There's a real poison dart mm-hmm. in that because it is moving away from an actual dependence on God's graciousness, just his pure graciousness, to I have to set in motion this series of events that guarantees me that God will take care of me. And I think when we say it that way, we realize, oh my goodness, that's a horrible thing to say about God, that he only helps those who help themselves, (laughs) you know, for example. Um, So let's kind of wrap up. Um, There's, there's a lot more I could say about first Timothy, but I, I'll save it for another time. But I think we need to kind of wrap up this podcast with three observations and then five questions. Okay. And so Sandy and I kind of talked about this ahead of time. And so we're going to just make these three observations and pause at that, talk about it a little bit, and then make ask the five questions. So there's three observations to make from this conversation, from this podcast. First one is that only God is self-sufficient, that God does not need anyone to give him anything. And only in God do we have enough of all that we actually need for life that is life indeed, as Paul writes, or that is true life experience? Accumulation of wealth will not bring true life experience. So that's the first observation that we need to make. Um, The second one is the goal is love, not wealth. Contentment is the condition of my soul. So contentment isn't just because I can see in my hand that I have all that I need, that I can check my bank account and see that I have enough. It is that ultimately it is in God, contentment in God who says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I think I just was reading a news report. This is February of 2021 that we're doing this podcast. And 
the Senate, U.S. Senate's holding some hearings or the House. I don't remember which one, one of the committees. And they had a single mom in there talking about um, finances, talking about how she exists. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, it's kind of one of those heart, pull your heartstrings and whatever people might get annoyed about the, the politics of that. But she was basically saying that she even basically used what she needed to live on to just show up at that hearing mm. because she believed it was important for a for the voice of a single mom to be heard at that hearing. Now, I don't know anything about that woman's faith, but she had the conviction that she needed to make a sacrifice and kind of, in assess, essence, take what she actually needed to survive to go say something in behalf of a larger group of people than just herself. Mm. That is a person who has a generous heart who is willing to, mm-hmm. to not ha- have what she needed in order to speak up in behalf of others. Yeah. And I just thought, wow, that's a very moving uh, story. And it's like, that's what we're talking about. There's more to life than just accumulating and keeping myself comfortable. And in 2020 and bleeding over into 2021, we have the whole COVID kind of shelter at home thing still going. Mm-hmm. And there are people who are quite growing kind of content with the fact that, oh, we've got all that we need because I still have my job that I can work from home. And and really, a lot of people have found they have kind of a little more new kind of disposable income because they're not using it on as much driving or vacationing and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so they're, again, it's not, I, I don't know where people are with being generous with the surplus that they've ended up with. But the same people, I mean, in our country and in the world, there are people who are just kind of like buzzing along, still having all that they need because they have a college education or they have a job they can do at home versus the people who have jobs and have careers that you can't do that. And they are really, they are in need. Mm -hmm. And so the people who have more than enough, Paul writes, tell those that are rich, who have more than enough, they need to be rich in good deeds to help those that are in need. So that's part of what we're about in this. Um, observation three, I don't think I even made this. Beware of the teacher without a conscience. Mm. Mm-hmm. And then in parentheses you have, totally greedy or pragmatic. Yes. <laughs> if you just kind of step back with that, a teacher who, who their conscience is not good because they have compromised their conscience about taking care of the poor, mm-hmm. especially I mean, very specific to this conversation. If they've been overly busy, I mean, more focused on accumulating wealth than being rich in good deeds, they know better than that. Mm-hmm. And so they have compromised their conscience. Mm-hmm. Beware of the teacher who has compromised their conscience. So those are observations. So five questions to ask ourselves. Am I really learning this secret of contentment? Do I see that I have enough? Am I am I okay with trusting that God will never leave me nor forsake me? These are questions that we can ask ourselves. So, first, Sandy, you want to do the first one? Am I content with food and clothing? That's what Paul said. If we have food and clothing, that's enough. Well, clothing slash shelter? <laughs> it is a little cold, that's Yes. Uh-huh. So we do right need now. shelter, but clothing kind of assume, you know, it 
kind of included in that. But Paul is saying basics of life, basics of daily life. Do you have food? And you got clothes to put on. You know. Second, I have to ask myself, and this may be a tough question to be able to even not be in denial about, but am I eagerly in love with money? In other words, every opportunity that I have to accumulate more for myself, do I love that? That's like a good day. That's like a day to post something on social media. Third question. Do I put all my hope for the future in wealth? Instead of God. Yeah. And I think that we, as a maybe a society, we kind of say, well, people are really naive if they think that they are going to be able to live and not save. But mm-hmm. there are plenty of people who, as much as it is a biblical principle to save, they don't have enough to save. Right. Mm-hmm. But they have enough for today. And I think it should be important to point out that in First Timothy chapter 6, Paul is not saying that you have enough to save up for the future. He says you have enough food and clothing today. Right. Now, so that's a definition of wealth, too. If I have more than I need for today, I'm wealthy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Um, four? Am I able to enjoy what God has provided me today? That's a good one. We're all shaking our heads. Yeah. You can't sit here. That. <laughs> and number five, would other people describe me as I am rich in good deeds, willing to share? Ask your friends. Good questions. <laughs> so there's lots of other questions we can ask. But as we think about the life that is life indeed, the real life, as uh, how Paul calls that in First Timothy, you know, that the person tell the person that's rich if they'd be rich in good deeds and all this kind of stuff then they are going to experience true life and i think really that's what we want we just seem to think that the accumulation of wealth is the way to experience true life mm-hmm. instead of laying up storing up the treasure in heaven which means being generous we you know that's that's a, that's an old little, little kids sunday school class lesson you know, by giving to help other people, by giving to your church, which helps other people, mm-hmm. then you are storing up treasures in heaven. And we, te- I mean, that's a, that's a cute, there's a lot little kids songs that are themed on that. There's adults that we realize, oh, okay, I need to think bigger than just having enough for my whatever, vacation, retirement in the future. So circling back to live long and prosper, so that's not really the best goal or the best blessing to throw at someone. So would a better one be, I may be content? Yeah. Am I happy with what I've got today? If you have any questions, just email us at nogod at tonykafka.com. That's K-N-O-W-G-O-D at T-O-N-Y-K-A-F-K-A dot com. <laughs>